Thank you so much, Leah. Welcome to those who are joining us. I am glad to have you with us, and I am really glad to introduce you to our platform speaker this morning. Rachel Christensen is a colleague of mine, a Unitarian Universalist minister who graduated from Meadville Lombard Theological School and serves now as chaplain at uh, Florida Hospital in Orlando. Before that, she served as a ministerial intern at First Unitarian Church in Orlando. And she says she is glad to have the cool weather up here. I hope that you brought your jacket because it's a little cooler than we expected. Uh, But we are so glad to have you with us this morning, Rachel. to be with you here today um it, it's really true i'm just loving the fresh air um here in maryland i guess we're in dc at this moment and um uh, florida is um we got too hot too early this year too hot and too dry with brush fires all over and um i think we may know too well that um what that where that's coming from or what that means for us with much worry. Anyway, I'm glad to be here. It's very fun. Um, I do serve as a chaplain uh, at Florida Hospital, and what that means for me is I have the opportunity of meeting with uh, patients every day, all day. I walk in and say, hi, I'm the chaplain, and uh, how are things with you? And we talk a little bit about what's going on with why they're in the hospital and what's going on with them. And sometimes they say to me, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, you know, my partner is, knows I'm here and well supportive and I've got good support at home. And, yeah, I'm clear this is going to get better and nice to see you. And off I go. Other times I walk in the door to a place where uh, someone is just ready to have an ear to listen and to share what's going on with them. Um, The other day I walked into a room and the woman was getting off a phone call and clearly upset and just in tears. There's something about saying I'm the chaplain that invites people to open their hearts to what's really hurting. And I have the privilege of being that person and getting to hear what has, is hurting them at their heart level at that moment. One of the things I've noticed is so often a part of that is loneliness. That their support circle is small. It might consist of just a, a very small number of family members or a single friend And the pieces of going through life and especially navigating an illness or a crisis in their life is difficult because of the smallness of their network and they're lonely. We talk a little bit about that, about how could you intentionally try to increase those connections and that network for yourself. How could you, could you say hello to the people when you drop your kid off at school or hello to the people in the neighborhood? I talked to this one woman who um, is a single mom, has two children. She's quite close with her father who lives in town, but the rest of her family is in Puerto Rico. And 
She talks about, I said, who else? What other people are in your life? I don't really have any other friends. Huh. Well, so I talk about this. I think we have an intrinsic need to have relationships with people. And that family is, is a different kind of a relationship and not quite enough for most of us. Um, and we find ourselves as adults, some of us find ourselves as adults, realizing that our circle of friends has grown too small. We can't find our way to increasing that. I, my experience as a, uh, in high school and as a young adult is I didn't need to work at making friends. I was in direct contact with people frequently enough and with enough repetition that friendships just happened. But suddenly, as, as I grew older, I discovered it takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes repeated contacts. It takes staying in touch with people. And without that, that circle of friendships diminishes. Or as one person said to me, it was my husband who made the friends. We rely on somebody else. So I'm talking to this mom. What if you were to say hello to the people at your, you know, at your school, where your kids go to school? Oh, no, you know, I just usually take my stuff and turn around and go get in the car. Why don't you? What's stopping you from saying hello? Oh, you know, it's just life is busy. I back up and just go on my way. Are you afraid? Is this... Is this fear? Oh. Well, yes. I'm afraid. It's a moment of recognition. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid they won't like me. I'm afraid they won't like me. And I'll get hurt. I say, are you a good person? Well, yes, I'm a good person. Are you a good mom? I am a good mom. You have so much to offer, but I'm afraid. She's afraid if she opens her heart, it will get damaged. And it's such a risk to her to think about that, about opening herself up to injury, to being vulnerable to a friendship that doesn't work. I say, you're not offering your bank account. You're offering a hello, maybe a cup of coffee. I think at first, all it is is a hello. My kids are in school here too. How about you? But it's scary. We walk through our lives accompanied by this fear of, of being vulnerable. Elizabeth Gilbert writes, Dearest fear, creativity and I are about to go on a road trip together. I understand you'll be joining us. Because you always do. You're allowed to have a seat. And you're allowed to have a voice. 
but you are not allowed to have a vote. You are not allowed to touch the roadmaps or suggest detours. You are not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, you are absolutely forbidden to drive. I think we allow our fear to drive. All too often, we give it power over our lives. We think of the things we might do with ourselves and fear takes over and stops us. Now, I don't actually believe we can just tell our fear to get in the back seat and stop talking. I know it's harder than that. We have to take ourselves and our courage forward to risk being vulnerable. It's tricky. It's hard work. It takes effort and energy. Many of the people I see in the hospital are um, elderly, older. And uh, they're, uh, you know, in for some long, I mean, you know, they're in for anything. In for a dollar, in for a dime. They're, um, but the stories they tell me is that they have, they're moved to Orlando. Frequently, their children have invited them down, invited them to come. Come be with me. Come live with us and the kids. It'll be wonderful. We'll be, you'll be nearby. We'll be nearby. We can help you. We can watch you. We can be there when you're sick. Good intentions, every one of them. But all too often, these people find themselves isolated. They get there. They come and they move. They're excited to make it happen. Or not, but they have made the move. And uh, daytime comes and the kids go off to work, the children go off to school, and they're left alone in the house. Their kids have lives. And they're isolated. They're living in a suburb with no transit. They might not drive anymore. Nobody said to them, yeah, come take a cab. Get yourself there to a cab or we'll pick you up. And, they, and they've, they've left a situation where they had people to be in this place alone. And they're lonely. Others of us might be, we just find ourselves in a neighborhood where people, where we don't tend to make friends. Where people drive into the garage, shut the door, go in their house, never come out and say hello. All too often, we find ourselves living in a place where we don't really know the neighbors. Loneliness. Not each one of us is lonely. Some of us know how to make friends easily, and that's fine. And we can maybe make a connection with someone else who needs us along the way. Rachel Naomi Remen is a physician who worked with cancer patients and uh, wrote about a patient who was filled with anger, envy, resentment, and drowning in self-pity. She was isolated. In the midst of all this suffering, she had one day simply known, she just knew, it became clear to her in her heart that all suffering was like her suffering. 
and all joy was like her joy. She said, when I was able to connect honestly to myself, I found that I was connected to everyone else too. Perhaps the healing of the world rests on just this sort of shift in our way of seeing, a coming to know that in our suffering and our joy, we are connected to one another with unbreakable and compelling human bonds. In that knowing, all of us become less vulnerable and alone. The heart, which can see these connections, may be far more powerful a source of healing than the mind. My sister, well, I, I firmly believe that our highest calling as human beings is to be connected to others. That the connection exists, but it's our work to be in relationship. Um, and the more we can be in relationship, the stronger our heart and our connection and our sense of self and sense of community is. We do that on our own. We do that in communities such as Wes. We do that in our neighborhoods if we're lucky. Um, and so I think that that is our work as humans. My sister embodies this in my mind. When her 13-year-old daughter moved out, moved out, she said, her husband was angry. She said, I have to remain connected to our daughter. I have to remain in relationship with her. And so she took her groceries once a week, took her out to lunch, tried to have conversations that didn't get into areas that made them both angry. Meanwhile, her husband at home was full of anger. And she said, I have to stay connected to her. It's who we are. It's how we're human. When she met the woman whose, da whose daughter she had become Catholic, the woman had basically disowned her daughter and her daughter's family because she was so angry that the younger woman had become Catholic. My sister said to her, but it's the relationship. Be in relationship with your daughter. Remain connected. We have to have each other. That is, is the piece of who we are as humans and how we do this work of being humans in community. Sometimes it's in this kind of a community of ethical society or church. It's our work to be connected interior and also to create a structure here that allows us to, to have openings for others to come and be connected to them so that we can create these relationships and strengthen our lives as humans, our resilience and our endurance to go through life, to serve others, to serve ourselves, to uh, be strong when those crises happen. It's what we do. Courtney Walsh says, Dear human, 
You've got it all wrong. You didn't come here to master unconditional love. This is where you came from and where you'll return. You came here to learn personal love, universal love, messy love, sweaty love, crazy love, broken love, whole love. Infused with divinity, lived through the grace of stumbling, demonstrated through the beauty of messing up, often. You didn't come here to be perfect. You already are. You came here to be gorgeously human, flawed and fabulous, and rising again into remembering. But unconditional love? Stop telling that story. Love, in truth, doesn't need any adjectives. It doesn't require modifiers. It doesn't require the condition of perfection. It only asks you to show up and do your best, that you stay present and feel fully, that you shine and fly and laugh and cry and hurt and heal and fall and get back up and play and work and live and die as you. It is enough. It's plenty. We are called to be human. We're called to be into connection, in connection with others. One of the things that we're wrestling with now is the struggle to understand our world and the disconnect that has happened across racial lines and immigrants and the pain we're feeling as people who I consider myself a person of goodwill and good action, now facing the ways in which I've been part of a system that has been steadily, chronically, incessantly, effectively making it impossible for us to be on fair terms with much of this world. Amanda is going to be teaching today on white supremacy. And I know I get a, a catch in my throat as I say those words. I think that's not me. And yet, I need to open my heart to see and learn that part of that is me. You see, we have built protective shells around ourselves, around our hearts, hard, impenetrable shells that allow us to hold illusions of safety over risk, of ignorance to the pain around us, keeps us protected from vulnerability, but that also keeps us protected from relationship. We're now trying to learn to do the hard work of opening ourselves up, putting a crack in that armor, cracking open our hearts so that we can learn more deeply and connect more deeply.
fear, protected heart, holding of values we thought we understood that we have to re-understand, relearn. It's work we have to do. There's a, um, there's a show on TV now, current. Some of you may have seen it called This Is Us. It follows a family. One of the stories that I saw was um, between the mother, Rebecca, and her daughter, Kate. And Kate is a very large woman. Struggles with weight every day of her life struggles with her self-perception, with the opportunities that she has in life, mostly with obsessing over her weight because she thinks it's an impediment to her living life. And so they go together one day to the doctor to talk about a gastric bypass for Kate. And it's a, it, it's a major surgery. It carries a lot of risks. It holds the hope for Kate that she will then become normal. And her mom, Rebecca, says to her on the way home, she says, Kate, did I do this to you? Did I do this to you by worrying about calories and food since she was little? Am I the one that did this? Rebecca is coming to terms with a worldview, a core value that she has had around weight and health and okayness and realizing the injury that has come from that for her daughter about being ashamed of being fat. I think this is part of what we're doing around race and white supremacy is beginning to see that we have unexamined values internal to our core being, we, I, some of us. And it's painful to face. It's painful to think that I may have been complicit in this system of our world that causes pain. This is also a cracking open of my heart, a vulnerability that invites me into life invites me to know you more deeply, invites me into relationship. One more reading. Letter to the People of the Future by John Cummins. Reverend Cummins is a Unitarian Universalist Minister, African-American, Minister Emeritus. He writes, My distant children, 
you will look back on us with astonishment at the truths that stared us in the face and which we did not see. You will look with wonder at the bright toys we created and used only for the rape of the planet and one another. It will seem strange beyond believing that we reached for the stars and did not know the simplest principles of living well together. But know this also, you of the future, you with your libraries and fountains, you in your star cities, know that even in our slumbers we dreamed, in our fumbling, shadowed search for mistaken glories, even in our clumsy cruelties, it was for you that we dreamed. Beneath the piled-up centuries, below the lost and ruined rubble of all our striving, it was you who lay safe, enfolded in the rubble of all our striving. It was you who laid safe, enfolded in the womb of our dreaming. You, the first cause of all our daring. Even now it brings comfort to know that it shall one day, one day be as the wise among us have foretold. In that far age, in the chrysalis of time, it will be your source of pride that your ancestors, born into a universe without justice or mercy, bethought themselves of justice and mercy and put them there. Remember us for this. May it be true. May we become brave, courage, broken open hearts in deeper connection with each other. May we learn to see the ways in which we have protected ourselves foolishly, and the ways in which we can connect more deeply, the ways in which we can, can correct the mistaken assumptions and the injustice in this world. May it be so.